Hey, welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. My guest today is Janine Moga, who is a licensed veterinary social worker, which is an unusual job. So I wanted to start with that. Can you tell us, Janine, what is that? Yeah, I get this question all the time, Colleen, and it's a really good one. In fact, I I was telling someone the other day, um, someone I had just met, that I was a veterinary social worker, and she said, that's a thing? (laughs) And I I said, it actually is. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, which means that technically I'm licensed as a mental health professional, but my area of specialty is veterinary social work, and that means I specialize in the intersections between human and animal issues. And so sometimes that means working with pet people around any number of issues around their animals. Sometimes that means working with animal professionals, animal care communities. Sometimes that means working with organizations and diverse organizations, trying to address all of the different ways humans and animals sort of live together, intersect together, and have needs that might compete, conflict, or sort of come together in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is so much with the human-animal bond that's awesome and also painful at times. Yes. Yes. And so like any relationship, right? Mm -hmm. There are really good things that come from it and things that aren't so healthy and sometimes really hard. And so veterinary social workers try to address all of those places, the good things and the tough things. Yeah. I think that's the piece of life that would be so awesome if we could be teaching people younger is that all emotion has a purpose and that it's okay to have these emotions and how to deal with them. And so if that's your whole career of helping people do that, that is awesome. Yeah, well, I think it's so true, right? Life is hard. It's really good. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's really hard. It's complicated. Being a human on the planet right now is really tough. And I think if we can talk more openly and honestly about the things that make life hard, but also the things that make life worthwhile. So the struggle doesn't feel so overwhelming to us. Um, It helps us to make sense out of it. And so those are good conversations. We just don't have them often enough. Right. And that sort of leads into our topic for today. The topic I wanted to talk to you about was reaching out and, and why that can be so valuable for us and why it's also so hard for us. Mm. It's, a, it's a tough thing, isn't it? It is. And I, I th- always find it so interesting as humans that we struggle so much with reaching out when that is what we are actually wired to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our our systems, we are born reaching out. That is how we attach to one another so that we can survive. And that desire and that deep need to reach out to others is part of what carries us through life successfully. But it is not easy. And isn't it interesting that it's so hard for us to do that, particularly when we need it the most? Yes. And that we sometimes have this feeling of self-judgment on it, like, that I don't want anyone to think I'm being needy or pestering them or taking up too much of their time and probably they're too busy for me. And these are some of the things that hold us back in times when we would really benefit from making a connection with another person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that self-talk that really gets in the way. But we, we also expect, I think it's also interesting that we expect that people either will judge us, that, mm-hmm. that there's something wrong with us for needing to reach out, for admitting that we need support. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that somehow it makes us lesser or that our, our struggles aren't worthwhile or won't be understood. And that is such a difficult barrier for us to overcome. It really is. I mean, that our, our brains are wired for this connection and that being pushed aside is so painful to us that sometimes we don't reach out for fear we might be pushed aside. Right. Which then keeps us isolated. You know, it's yeah. That, oh, that whole push pull of this real need for one another and, yeah. and a fear of, of not having that connection. Yes. And, and it puts us in such a vulnerable position. And I think that's the core of what, what prevents us from taking the leap or making the call or asking for help is that we feel so vulnerable. Um, and, and humans don't do well with vulnerability. <laughs> no, And we, do, we don't do well with not being able to predict something or control something. And so I think that that is like the trifecta, isn't it? Sort of the lack of control, the lack of predictability and feeling unsafe or vulnerable. Like, I don't know how this is going to go. And I don't want it to go poorly because that'll make me feel even worse. Right. Right. So what are your suggestions for how to take baby steps out of that? Oh, well, you know, actually, I think critical support we receive is from our connections with people we work with because we spend so humans spend, especially Americans, spend so much time at work. Uh, we spend most of our waking hours at work, um, for better, for worse. I mean, we could have an entire podcast on that alone, mm -hmm. right? But, <laughs> but the fact that especially animal people, people working in animal care communities spend most of their working hours or their waking hours working. And so therefore, that separates us from our, fr our really dear friends and family members. And those are sort of our built-in networks. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to be able to develop really good, healthy, supportive relationships in the workplace to be able to talk to people honestly about, you know, this was a really hard day so that other people can go, yeah, we thought that too. And, and what's so interesting is we never feel more isolated than when we're struggling. And mm -hmm. then we assume we're the only ones going through it. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Right. There's always going to be a chorus of people going, oh, I feel just the same way as you do. And for pet people, it's the same thing. When they're struggling with behavior problems or the loss of an animal or the illness of an animal, they feel so alone. And in reality, there is a chorus of people waiting to support them. So we need to be able to sort of get over that fear. And with humans, as with other creatures, fear is a really big driver of mm -hmm. behavior, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Big driver. So we have to be able to sort of put the fear in perspective and say, is this a realistic fear? And what's the worst that could happen? Is that someone might go, oh, I don't feel that way. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then maybe you're not the person I talked to about this. So getting over the fear or sort of putting it in perspective, make asking it to take a back seat. Like I hear you. Thank you for your feedback, but you need to sit back there for a minute because I need some help really trying to connect to the people we spend a lot of time with. Having at least one friend at work we can trust really can go a long way. Yeah. Actually, a Gallup poll on the workplace satisfaction, I'm forgetting the exact title of it. One of the main indicators for job satisfaction was, I have a friend at work. Yeah. It wasn't what you did. It wasn't what you earned. It wasn't any of that. It yes. was, I have someone I care about and who cares about me. Yes. 
Yes. And feeling cared about is huge. Mm -hmm. And it's not just having a coworker who cares about you and, you know, wants to make sure that you got there safely is checking in with you throughout the day. But also, I think one of the big drivers of satisfaction in the workplace is having a supervisor who cares about you as well. So not just that they're sort of making sure that you're doing your job and that you're feeling engaged, but like actually cares about what's happening with Mm -hmm. you in your life. And those two big things, that's the human side of working. Right. And so paying attention to our human needs at work is a big deal. It is. And so often we think that we're supposed to shut that part off and yeah. just do the work and turn off all that human stuff, but we can't. No, because we're human and our human needs are going to drive behavior whether we like it or not, right? The, the deep need to connect, the need to be understood, the need to be heard, to be seen, those drive everything. Mm-hmm. For better, for worse, they just do. They do. So if you're... If you're in a workplace and you feel like you don't have that, you don't have the team and the connection with people that you'd like to have, what are some initial things that you could do to start to build that? Small, low-risk things. Low-risk things to show your humanity, which is really difficult when you're not sure how it's going to go, right? Is And so instead of putting yourself out there, sometimes what's easier is to ask some questions to get to know the people around you on a personal level. Not to be, you don't have to be everybody's friend. That's not the point. The point is to sort of get people to engage in their own story with you. Mm-hmm. Because humans have a deep need also to share a story, We are meaning makers and story creators from the get-go. We don't even have to think about it. This is just part of how our brain works. Mm -hmm. And so asking someone to tell you something personal about themselves that's really interesting gets them to engage you in a different level. And it doesn't have to be unprofessional. It can be, you know, just tell me like the most interesting thing about what happened to you last week or what is the most fun thing thing you've done with someone you care about or you know give me and we're you know talking about animal people right so mm-hmm. tell me your funniest personal animal story oh, we could all come up with loads of those and that enables people to start connecting in a safe way and what a, most veterinary social workers and it's a pretty small group of us still but what most of us would be able to share is that animals open doors for people that people don't mm-hmm. so they if we can talk to each other safely about our pets then we can start connecting on levels that feel safe, that are understood, because we all share those experiences as animal people. And then that sets a foundation for us to be able to share other stories and to be able to trust each other a little bit and then share other things. So animals open those doors in ways lots of other experiences don't. Yeah, that's really true. That's a great way to start. Yeah. It's also interesting that asking someone to tell you something about themselves actually makes them feel closer to you, even though you haven't told them anything about yourself in this conversation. Right. It creates that connection between the two. And you may tell something about yourself in that conversation, but it's it's such an interesting, I don't know, reciprocity, I guess, is probably not the right word, but the word that's popping in my head at this moment, where it it has been studied, where, you know, you sharing something about yourself makes you feel closer to me. Interesting. Um, right. But that does build it. So I love the idea of just sort of asking questions and and that they don't have to be the deep personal, you know, tell me everything right now, but things that open doors and start making connection. What if you feel like 
the people at work are all sort of on edge. Would you give mm. that same advice? I think that advice and anything that makes people laugh. So there is laughter and the and the ability to have fun with one another is actually shown to be incredibly an incredibly good tool for building connection between humans, mm-hmm. helping them to negotiate relationships, helping them to problem solve. And actually, the, the literature has shown that, that work teams that can laugh with one another actually have higher levels of innovation. So, like, just having a little bit of fun lightens the load and enables everybody to sort of discharge some of the strain and the stress of day-to-day work. And and then they can see each other as humans and not automatons, right? Right. Like, like we can all connect on this level and this feels good and mm-hmm. then we do it more often. Yes. It makes us safer when we can let down a little bit and sort of reach beyond the things that are stressing us out. Yes. And and your point about people being more creative ties back into a whole bunch of previous podcasts where we've really talked about positive emotions expanding creativity yes. and connection and just that feeling good inside has social contagion and also yes. makes us do – one of the phrases is tend and befriend. Like we're going to gather yes. together and do stuff. And this yes. stuff in this case is animal related, but we're going to do it better and more productively and more interestingly because we feel good. Yes. And the humor yes. does that all the time. Humor does that. And the other thing that tends to do it, and I want to say this is across cultures, is like literally breaking bread, mm-hmm. eating together. Right. And so if you're trying to get to know your teammates and you're trying to make yourself approachable and trying to sort of build that foundation for social connection, like bring food to work. Yes. And you will be a huge hit and people will be so grateful that someone thought because that that lets people know that you've thought about them. Mm -hmm. And then when people share that together and they share that experience, they actually also sort of build those connections and a little bit of that trust. And that leads itself to support. Yes. In Kathy Sadeo's book, um, Plenty in Life is Free, I learned that the word companion literally means the one I share bread with in Latin, yeah. ah, you know, yeah. companion, you know, who I would have bread, pan, bread, um, yes. Panera and all of our other bread words. And yes. just to hear it that way, it was like ding, 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 because, you know, if we're going to celebrate anything, food is involved. Yes, There's a birthday party, there's a wedding, there's an anniversary, there's just like, let's go out to dinner. Let's go out for lunch. Let's meet for coffee. These are all food things. And there is something amazing about really, I don't know why that is. It's sort of funny. But just that social sharing of food makes us friendlier. It's kind of cool. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, take a lot of time or any of those things, right? Right, right. And people are always so happy when you're the one who walks in with the box of whatever, you know, brownies. Yeah. There are brownies. Yes, <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> when and I have a story. So years ago, when I started working in a veterinary hospital, and it was, 
when veterinary social work was still a very novel thing and most people didn't know even what a social worker did, but they were pretty sure it wasn't a good thing. (laughs) And I was walking down in the large animal hospital and to introduce myself to a couple of the folks at the desk and I took a tray of brownies. And I said, just want to introduce myself, and I wanted to drop these off for staff. I know folks get hungry, da-da-da. And they said, oh, that's great. Who are you again? Like, what's going on? And then I sort of walked down there a couple days later to retrieve my pan. I put my name on the bottom of it. <laughs> and they said, oh, you're the, who are you again? You're the one who fed us? <laughs> And I and so I just sort of regularly did this and then they started calling me and then they started talking to me and this is kind of what built that relationship when there was no precedent for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always made it sort of the joke when I start a new job, I start bringing brownies to work. This is kind of how we do it. Yeah. And I like the idea of having to go back for the pan because I probably would have brought up in a disposable pan, which would have not had that second conversation. Right. So the coming back to get the pan gave them that chance to go, wait a sec, who who are you again? And restart the conversation that they had sort of gone, yeah, 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 when you showed up with the brownies the first time. Exactly. That's so cool. Power of brownies. Yes. (laughs) It should not be underestimated. I'm I'm a fan. (laughs) (laughs) So... These these are the in-person connections, and they're very, very different from all of our social media friends and, and those kinds of contacts. Can you talk a little bit about why those those friends don't fill us up quite the same way? I mean, they have a purpose, but they don't provide the same emotional yeah. lift for us? Yeah. Well, I think there's a technology is both a really good thing and a really challenging thing because it changes the nature of communication. And it, I think it really puts, it, it makes us less likely to really engage in deep conversation because everything is a sound bite and a quick snippet. And so when you already have those connections established, it feels differently to you to connect with someone on Facebook who you know really well, mm-hmm. right? Because then having a, a you know 20 word sort of update is fine because that's probably not the only way you're talking with them. But when we are doing all of our communication over social media, when we're doing a lot of our communication over texting, and we're not doing voice to voice, we're not connecting person to person and face to face, it changes sort of the depth of the conversation and the level of connection we're having with one another. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's not as intimate. And by intimate, I don't mean that we have to sort of share all the deepest details of our lives because we certainly don't. But there's something that really comes from being able to sit across the table from another human being or listening to the tone of their voice where we can really understand what it is they're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is lost when we're typing it or texting it, or, you know, like uploading a picture real quick and saying, oh, this happened to me today. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's by very nate, it's very quick, and it tends to be superficial. Um, and that doesn't meet our deepest needs. Like connection by its very nature requires that we delve a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. And so having, you know, loads and loads of friends on Facebook and, uh, you know, the Instagram updates and all of these things and the Twitter, I mean, by its very nature, Twitter is so truncated. (laughs) So that's really interesting for sharing little snippets of ideas and life. But if what we need is to exchange, 
we're not doing it. And so it's fine for bits and pieces, but it's not super satisfying. Yeah, it's interesting how that that comes. And I think that I think your word exchange there might be a really valuable one in this conversation because people add on, you know, like, you know, someone puts up a Facebook post and then everybody puts a comment in, but it's not this rich back and forth conversation that it would be if you were together with someone right. sharing that moment. Right. So it's not an exchange, really. It's just sort of commentary. It's commentary. It's an announcement, right? Yes. And so, and I'm not on Facebook very often, but I, I, I mean, very rarely, but I actually put an update. I had sort of this interesting sort of really difficult experience this weekend trying to transport my horse and I put a little and I knew that some people from the barn were um, gonna wonder how things were going so I posted this little update at the end of the day and you know the responses I got back that were emoticons and so it's like people read it and they acknowledged that it happened but it's but then it wasn't till someone actually called and went oh my goodness is everybody all right that sounds like it was quite an event for you guys <laughs> and I went it was you know and that's where I got the support support. Yeah. You know, getting a thumbs up or a thumbs down didn't mean anything to me. Um, It was when someone actually inquired and then I could have that deeper conversation about, oh, you wouldn't even believe what a day. Right. And that's where we connect with one another. That's where having someone go, oh, gosh, tell me more means so much. Yeah. So it's cathartic. Yeah. Have that experience and be heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so interesting to me that that we struggle with it. Like I understand it's intellectually, I understand why we struggle with the reaching out, and yet knowing how important it is, mm-hmm. it's a shame that we do that yeah. that we can't just make it easier to just feel comfortable and just do it. Yeah. And I think it is, it's both intellectually, we can know it's good for us and that doesn't mean we do it right. And so, mm-hmm. and that applies to everything in our lives that applies to whether I eat a salad or Oreos for lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can know what's probably good for me. But if my emotions are driving the bus and driving my thoughts and the emotions aren't very good right now, they're probably not going to lend me to do the thing that's going to be most helpful. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be telling me something that's not entirely accurate. Yeah. And so that's always the challenge is trying to weigh that out and say, I know this is really hard and I'm really scared and I need it anyway. Mm-hmm. I need to try anyway. I'm capable of trying this. It probably won't be a disaster even if it doesn't go the way I want it to. Yeah. And that's such a good message to keep in mind. You know, even if it doesn't go the way I want it to, it probably won't be a disaster. Yeah. It, that's that's pretty freeing. It it really is. And the human brain is really interesting because I because we are wired to look for trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an evolutionary sort of behavior. We look for things that are potentially dangerous and we try to head them off. And so we are really good at seeing tigers, even where there are no tigers. Mm-hmm. And what makes that challenging then is that we can see potential trouble in places where it does not exist, especially when we're stressed out, because Mm -hmm. then we are even more likely to see it. Even when we're struggling, or especially when we're struggling, we are much more likely to see trouble. And that fear, again, that goes back to fear. So when we are scared, it's not going to go well, and we are worried that something might explode, then we're looking for it, and then we're going to try to head it off. And that means we're probably not going to do the thing we 
need. And that's the paradox about support is we're wired for it and it's hard to reach out for it. Mm-hmm. The very thing we need when we're struggling is to reach out and that's the very time we're less likely to do it. Yes. It's so interesting how that works. Like we jettison all the things that that really are the most helpful things. When we're stressed, we don't sleep as much. We don't make as much time for sleeping. We don't eat as well. We don't make time for friends. And then we don't even reach out to to contact them briefly. And yet we kind of go, yeah, I know, I really should, but I don't have time. I can't. I'm I'm worried. I'm stressed. I can't. Yes. And it's it's stuck. We get ourselves stuck. We do. We're very good at stuck. We are good at stuck. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the human condition. Yeah, it's really funny, too, because a lot of it is the stories we're telling ourselves in our brains. One thing that I said recently to someone that I hadn't realized was such a big issue for me, but apparently is, is that I miss having house phones for people. Because sometimes I just want to call and say hi, but I don't want to disturb you. And now with cell phones in people's pockets, I'm thinking I'm catching you at work. Well, I don't really know what time you get off. Oh, my goodness. Oh, why? You know, and so then I shoot an email instead. (laughs) And and this person I was talking to was like, you can call me anytime. If I'm busy, I won't answer, but I'll call you back later. But feel free. Call me anytime. And I'm still a little bit stuck. I still feel like maybe I'll be intrusive or maybe I'll be in the way. And yet. The reality is they will call me back if, you know, if they're busy, they just won't answer. That would be okay. (laughs) And that doesn't hurt my feelings. What would bother me is that if I was bothering them, you know, but for them to not answer, that doesn't hurt my feelings. But heaven forbid you'd be in the middle of something and I should call you. So, yes. Well, and we're also, and the truth of it too, is we're also hyper scheduled and busy. And then we're afraid that no matter how we're reaching out, we're going to be inconveniencing somebody and that's not what we want. And so then we just don't reach. Right. Right. And especially if we're reaching out, not just to connect with someone, but because we need something, because we don't want to inconvenience someone with our troubles because our troubles are already difficult enough. Yes. So this actually brings me to the point of your amazing um, Vet Girl on the Run webinar on suicide which um, if you could just briefly tell people what that was, I thought it was so awesome. And I will include in the show notes a link to it in case anyone's interested. But you shared really valuable information about about when we are in struggle and, and how that affects people. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Sure. Thank you for asking. So I think in the last... Oh, gosh, I want to say the last handful of years, there's been an increasing attention in veterinary medicine and the practice of veterinary medicine to sort of rates of suicide and suicidal ideation in the field. And in particular, because we're really starting to learn a lot more about the levels of chronic strain for practitioners. And it's not just DVMs we're worried about. We're also Mm -hmm. worried about technicians and others who are working in these sorts of settings. Mm -hmm. It's very challenging. This is really valuable work in our communities, and it's incredibly stressful. And so there have been some studies that have come out in the last, I want to say the last 10 years, really, is when we've 
we've started to pay more attention and really start to look more closely at chronic strain and then what that means and how it translates to mental health issues in veterinary practice. And so what we know is that in veterinary medicine, we have a a rate of suicidal ideation or thinking about suicide that is about three times higher than the general population, and that's a real concern. We do know that actually suicide rates in the general population have gone up significantly in the last 20 years or so. And so generally speaking, the mental health in this country is a big concern for all adults and all youth. We're really worried that we're not as well as we used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, life is stressful in ways it wasn't stressful 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so as life shifts, our coping skills haven't quite evolved at the same, that's my concern, haven't evolved to sort of match the kinds of stressors we're seeing now. And then in, su- in, in veterinary medicine, when we're talking about suicide, and actually in the general population when we talk about suicide, what we know is that some of the biggest protectors, some of the best things we can do to prevent suicide are to connect with one another, mm-hmm. to talk openly with one another when we're worried about each other Mm -hmm. and to not shy away from these scary conversations. So when someone is really struggling, the best thing we can do, although it's the scariest thing for us, is to sit down with them and say, I am worried about you. What's going on? Yeah. Even if I can't fix it, I want you to tell me. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the best conversations we can have because that's how we can start to head off suicidal crises. Yeah. And they're happening much more often than we'd ever want them to. Yes. And I will, again, put the link in the show notes because your webinar is amazing. But this ties very closely back into our conversation about reaching out. And I read a statistic that I don't have right in front of me, but the the information was that in the 70s, people on average had two to three people that they would confide in with a with a problem or a concern. Mm-hmm. And that now the average is typically around one, that we have like mm-hmm. one person that we'd be willing to tell when we're really worried about something. And that doesn't sound like a huge difference. You know, way back then you had three people and now you have one, but that is a big difference. Huge difference. It's yeah. Huge. And so that that whole need to have someone who cares and wants to hear what's going on with you really not yeah. not the oh i'm fine busy life is right. busy no, we're good no no really how are you really? right and then willing to dig into that conversation and and what that translates to honestly colleen sort of shrinking the 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 and i call those people the witnesses mm-hmm. um and that's not something i made up a, a mentor of mine when i was in graduate school said to me janine uh, practice is hard adulting is hard being a helping professional is hard have at least two to three people you can share anything with confidentially and ha- and have the expectation be that they are not there to fix it, they're not there to judge it, mm-hmm. and they're not there to minimize it. They're there to listen to what you have to tell them. That's their only job, and their job is to take that call from you 24 hours a day at any time there to drop what they're doing. Yeah. And at the time, I thought, okay, well, that's great. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that sounds perfectly reasonable. But what I have found over 20-some years in practice now is I followed through on that. And I have not just two, I have three people. I do have three. And they know that when I'm calling them and I say, 
I need to talk and I need 10 minutes of undivided attention, they drop everything. Mm-hmm. And then that is my license to say, you would not believe, dot, 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 here we go, buckle up. Yeah. And and so that is advice that I give to up-and-coming veterinary students. I give that advice to up-and-coming social work students now, to technicians, and I say, have your witnesses, have those people mm-hmm. who can hear it no matter how ugly, how scary how um, messy, mm-hmm. <laughs> because life is messy, yes. um, how complicated, and their job is, again, it's not to fix it, it's to hear you. Yes. And to hold it, because we have to have someone else who will hold it. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. And and those people may or may not be in the same career field. Right. So sometimes it's helpful to have somebody who's not completely yes. entrenched in the animal world to hear some of these stories. And sometimes you really do want to talk to someone who who gets it, who, who yeah. hears. But the real value on both sides of that, having having those who know you just as a person and those yes. who know you as a profession too. Right, right. Well, again, what we're trying to do is prevent ourselves from isolating. Yes. And we isolate ourselves better than anyone else will isolate us. It is a self-inflicted wound. And so, again, like... We don't want those support networks to dwindle. They already do. When people get stressed, when they are overworked, when they are exhausted, whether they're an extrovert or not, they mm-hmm. tend to sort of start to to isolate on purpose because they're trying. That is a natural response. Mm-hmm. It's to cut down on stimulation because I, I can't take it. I'm saturated. Yeah. And so we sort of draw back. We're not as social. We're not as involved. And what we need I mean, sometimes you're going to need to draw back that you want to modulate a little bit. You need to be able to manage yourself, but you still need to reach out. Yeah. Still need it. Absolutely. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Can you tell um, us how people can learn more about your work? Sure, absolutely. So um, I've been in veterinary world for a long time, but I recently uh, launched a private practice. So if anyone's interested, they can look me up on Psychology Today. I have a profile on Psychology Today. Practice I'm newly working with can be found at wholejourneywellness.com. And they can reach out to me by Gmail as well. It's moga.janine at gmail.com. I'm happy to hear from anybody who needs a resource or needs to reach out because they just need to know where to go. Awesome. And I will put all of that in the show notes so that people don't have to be pulling over to type while they drive. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on Unleashed today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Colleen. Thanks so much for tuning in. Do you know a vet? veterinary nurse, or other animal care professional who could use a little bit more peace, joy, and satisfaction? I think we all do. I hope you'll share Unleashed at Work and Home with them. And while you're at it, please write a review. Reviews really help listeners find podcasts that will interest them. Thanks. Thanks.